When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 3-2 pitch, swung on, high fly ball, way back, might be, could be, and in, honor of the left field bleacher. Three balls and the strike. Long drive, way back, it might be, it could be, and in, holy cow. And there's a drive, way hit three home runs. And there's the curtain goal. Welcome back to another exciting edition of the Pointless Exercise Podcast. It's time to remember this crap. And Mike Donahue is with us, as always, to remember crap. Mike, how are you? Good, Andy. Yourself? Never been better. Mostly because support for Pointless Exercise is brought to you by Manscaped. The best in men's below-the-waist grooming champions of the world. That sentence still doesn't make any sense to me. (laughs) Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. Manscaped just launched their fourth-generation trimmer, the Lawnmower 4.0. You heard that right, the 4. Join more than 2 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped. With this exclusive offer for you, 20% off and free worldwide shipping with the code REMEMBER20 at manscaped.com. Remember, that's 20% off and free worldwide shipping with the code REMEMBER20. So uh, I was I mentioned it on the uh, the Cup podcast with Sam. We had to they had to change our promo code for uh, the Cubs podcast because Pointless ended up on uh, one of those free code sites, and so they were Heard like, that. so like yeah, um, here you need a new one. So we got hacked. Most it's had to be the Russians. I think it just means that you're a big time. But probably, I'm sure that's what it meant. So we are in uh, we are in fervent negotiations with the Manscaped people at the moment. Um, it sounds like they they may continue to uh, sponsor the podcast uh, at least through the summer. All so, right, yeah, we're exciting. Be... News. I don't know if they're going to send us more free crap or yeah, uh, I could use some more boxers. And uh, will we be around long enough for the lawnmower 5.0? Perhaps they did tell me that they are launching new products. So who knows? Perfect. I doubt maybe the 4.1. I don't even know what it would be. They add a extra headlight to it or something. <laughs> we'll leave it to the boys in research. That's right. Yeah, the, the R&D lab over there at, at Manscaped. Yeah, I've been dealing with uh, the, the uh, president himself, uh, Manny Scapes. <laughs> he, 
He's the guy I've been negotiating with. So, so we'll many. See how that goes. All right. So for uh, people who don't know how this podcast works, and I can't imagine you're listening to this if you don't know how it works, uh, we have a big wheel of crap that started with every season from 1980 until 2011. We spin it. It lands on a year, and we immediately start talking about that season. This is remember this crap. It is not uh, research this crap. So it's stuff we remember off the tops of our heads. Although we do use the tools of the World Wide Web oh, to yes, help yes. augment. Uh, baseball reference games. is the that's who should that's sponsor. It. That's it. They should like sponsor the podcast, or maybe I should sponsor um, something there you on go. their site. Um, so anyway, let's spin the wheel and see. What we had. last week was 1991. We had already done 1992. Because uh, typically our only rule is that we can't do the, se- the season before or the season after because it would be redundant uh, the very next week. So this week, though, it's either it's only 1993 would disqualify it. And 1990. No, 1990, you mean, because we did 91 last last time. Oh, you're right. We, only we, 1990. Right, because we already yeah. did 92. Okay. Only 1990 mm-hmm. is off the board, which is good because I don't remember anything that happened. That's about as nondescript of a season that you'll have. I'm sure we'll make it entertaining as much as we can but uh yeah i'm looking forward to not at least having to worry about doing that season tonight so let's uh oh i know why it's not spinning (laughs) i have to do this one as the wheel spins just a reminder doing 32 seasons of crap 11 of which the cubs have finished 500 that's 34.38 percent 21 have finished under 500 so far we've done three 500 or above teams in seven years four that were under we've also done one playoff team and there are six total so i uh i inadvertently muted the uh, things are going great i inadvertently muted the uh wheel so people fans it, at home didn't get to uh do it again for a fact we know the year we got yes. They didn't get to hear it. It's a very exciting season. I'm doing it again. I keep clicking the wrong wheel. Here we go. And there, that's the sound people want. That's right. To know that we're not faking this. Yes. Although that. I'd rather do. Fake season would have been more fun than real season. But we are. I disagree. We are nothing if not. um, I'm not even going to tell people what it was because they'll be very disappointed. Yeah, this is yeah. this will be good. We are 1994, so we're staying in the same same general area. Yeah, mediocrity by design. So knocking off some more Tribune two years, right? So, so uh, um, as always, five quick facts off the top of your head about the 1994 Chicago. These may, may be in chronological order because the I, the first thing you think about in 1994 is opening day. Uh, my first opening day, which was one for the ages. Uh, in which Tuffy Rhodes hit three uh, home runs off of former Cub killer Dwight, Dwight Doc Gooden. The Cubs also set up Mark to start that season because they not only lost the game in which Tuffy Rhodes hit three homers, but they lost their first, I want to say, eight home games, seven or eight somewhere. They, lost, they got wiped out in their entire first homestand. They went on the road to have to win some games, or they had to go on the road to win some games. Uh, and it was the first time I remember they publicly brought out that stupid goat. Uh, poor Ernie Banks was having to lower himself to walk it onto the yeah. field uh, in early April. Um, so you can see where this season's heading. I will say bright spot – new acquisition willie banks nearly goes seven innings with a no hitter on memorial day um so that was uh 
that was certainly something, to, some crap to remember. 1994 also featured the major league debut of Steve Traxel, who I believe did win the first game of the year for the Cubs uh, and went on to become the National League Rookie Pitcher uh, of the year. And uh, 1994 is also the year, uh, most of this, we're going to probably spend a lot of time in April. <laughs> And and that's not for well, good reasons. There yeah. are no good reasons or for anything. But I, I guess was we're also, not we're not going to spend any time in September. I can that's tell you true. that. That's true. Uh, but my fifth fact is uh, 1994 is a season in which the Cubs one year manager Tom, the one guy na- not named Jim in the uh, sort of early Andy McPhail, the one manager uh, era, the one manager not named Jim Tom Treblehorn was basically forced to stand uh, in front of the fire hydrant in front of the firehouse on Waveland Avenue in April to uh, account for his team's poor performance in the face of a bunch of uh, angry, uh, inebriated fans. Um, yeah, real, real interesting season. Yes. Okay, so you you were right about all that stuff. They lost their first eight home games. They lost three to the Mets. Then they went on the road to beautiful uh, Olympic Stadium, Stade Olympique uh, in Montreal, where Steve Traxel not only won the first his first game, he beat Pedro Martinez. (laughs) Uh, Another fun fact before you go on: also the same day that Kurt Cobain was found dead. Because I, I was I was I was in Northern and the game was not on TV and I was listening to it and they cut in during Steve Traxwell's major league debut to tell us that a body had been found in Seattle. Apropos of absolutely nothing. Did uh, did we know that? Uh, I guess Steve Traxel had an alibi at least. <laughs> right, right. It took him longer to probably pitch three uh, a nine inning game than to fly to Seattle and yeah. back. Um, yeah, they actually they won. They won t- the first two games in. Uh, they, they, I, in I, yeah, they won. They won two out of three. Yeah, they were good on the road. Um, I, I guess just to quickly apply some context here, this was a team coming off a 500 season, but it was a bit of a mirage. Uh, they were pretty much at their. They, they were already in their. Well, this was actually the year, the last year of the Larry Himes era. So it was basically, I guess you could say, the third year of uh, the mediocrity by design. The Tribune's charting a course to sort of. You know, shoot for the middle and see what happens. Well, this was one of those years like 97, which we did, which, you know, when things go wrong, they go wrong. Dates back to the end of the 93 season when the Cubs actually rallied to finish over 500 in support of their manager, Jim uh, Riggleman, but that didn't stop Himes from firing Riggleman. Um, I'm not sure what else would have happened in the offseason other than the growing uncertainty about everyone finishing the 94 season, but nobody expected the Cubs to be this bad. I don't think the hopes were that high. We were now five years removed from the 89 team. It was pretty much all gone, you know, scattered to the winds. Jim Fry's handiwork done. He'd been gone now for, uh, at this point, you know, two, three seasons. So um, we, we didn't, you know, think they were going to suck, but, um, you know, I don't think our expectations were that high, but with the start that we're off to here, I think they uh, pretty much took care of itself early on. So that's the context though. Yeah. So we had, we, the, the first two games were, um, were notable. No, I actually, no, they weren't just the first one, just the Carl Rhodes. Can I, uh, can I just go into my tales of debauchery here uh, about opening day? It was my first one, a little bit of a story personal anecdote um you know kids you might want to turn down the volume i don't know how much uh i want to share but uh as you know Andy, we both went to a school in uh, dekalb mm-hmm. at niu 
And uh, Oleg and I, uh, we've mentioned Oleg before, a friend of mine from uh, my freshman year at Northern, we both also worked together at the Crystal Pistol, which I think I've mentioned that on a podcast or two in the in the past. No longer the Crystal Pistol. It's a, it's a, it's a northern bar called Fatty's, which is probably one of the more popular bars in town. But when we were there, the popular bar, I think, was for guys like us, was Molly's. And the Pistol was actually not in a NIU bar. It was the place that your parents would take you, a place where... I would, you know, I started as a dishwasher. I was eventually flipping steaks, but, you know, walk around behind from the kitchen to the bar and see DeKalb, the honorific DeKalb Mayor Greg Sparrow, first oh, yes. one at the bar, first one at the bar on Friday, uh, last one to leave. Eventually, Michael, the owner, put a TV in there, and Sparrow was a big sports fan, tried to stump me once with some of world or baseball trivia thinking that frank robinson was the last triple crown uh winner i had to correct him no it was carl yastrzemski anyhow fun times stories for another day but uh, long story short too late um got to know some of these guys that uh that worked at the pistol they're from your neck of the woods andy and we all decided uh one of the guys joey had a line on some i know slightly above face tickets uh, in the bleachers i'd never been to a cubs opening day i was fired up I was just about to graduate. I didn't really know what I was going to do. It was just, you know, I was, you know, sort of carefree, almost done with my college career. And so the day after Easter, and we had to work Easter, uh, usually Sundays were slow at the pistol, but it was a, we always did a big Easter brunch and still insist on going out afterwards because that's what you do when you work in the restaurant industries. You, you know, go out with the people you work with and found some county bar that was still open on Easter night. Uh, get our several hours of sleep, uh, get up. Go to the McDonald's, grab some, uh, grab some uh, uh, McMuffins, grab a 12-pack of beer. This is 1994. McDonald's? Yes. Right. No, I'm going to tell you the oh. we Actually, we got the 12-pack of beer at the bottle store. We got a 12-pack of beer first, and there's four of us driving down, and there's another four in another car. And we're going to go out of town on 90, not 88. So we're going to go through Sycamore. So we get, <laughs> we get a 12-er at the bottle store. We go to the McDonald's and get some McMuffins for the ride. By the time we get to Sycamore, there is a – bar liquor store in sycamore you might have been familiar with it if you ever headed out towards north avenue and plank road back then it was called the hole in the wall and i used to always i found it funny when i heard a comedian was talking about a liquor store in the south that had a drive-through uh a window little did i know that uh not too far away in sycamore oh, yeah, the hole was... in the wall actually had it there's probably more i've seen many more since then but yeah, there was a drive-through uh, liquor store in rockford for a long time yeah, growing up in the northwest suburbs in the 80s, that's not something you would see. So it seemed alien to me, and it was quite a discovery and also very convenient because by the time we had gotten through DeKalb and through Sycamore and washed down our McDonald's, we realized that maybe we should get another 12-pack of beer, but we didn't have to get out of our cars. Um we get to the game. We want to be in the first row. Uh, so we, of course, get there. You know, this, we're talking like 8 or 9 in the morning, in case anyone wants to know the level of, um, you know, absolute uh, de uh, delinquency that uh, that we're up to. We're going to opening day. We're in line, um, and it's, you know, 10 o'clock. We're pretty much first in line. We're going to be in the front row. But, you know, of course, we're across the street from Murphy, so a couple guys go in, and we're trading off. So just to kind of give you an idea of the state of mind that we were in, um, and yeah, the gates open two hours early and we're there and it was, you know, the, the festivities continue just put it, just to put it politely. I think, oh, I think Oleg missed the first and the third Homer cause he was getting beer. I, I missed the second, but I was behind the center. Remember the old center field bleachers, you had the concession stand yeah. behind there. And if you kind of like could look between two people that were sitting on the back row facing the field, you could see the pitcher and the batter. So that's my vantage point from, uh, 
that's my vantage point from uh, Tuffy Rhodes' second homer. Um, and then the last, the, the last thing I'm just going to mention in this long-winded tale of uh, of sin and debauchery is that the previous October, you recall, the White Sox had won their division uh, and went to the playoffs, and I decided to splurge for the first time ever. This is what a meatball I was on a fitted hat that uh, was the Toronto Blue Jays. <laughs> of course. <laughs> wore it through the playoffs because that's how I was, and wore that hat all through the winter. Uh, I had a good friend that got married in December. I was the best man. We threw a bachelor party out in the quad cities because he went to iowa state and uh I, I lost my hat but the hotel miraculously sent it back and this whole journey with this hat blue jays hat looked like a cubs hat from behind i, I didn't have a cubs hat i didn't care but i wore this hat to the opener and of course when tuffy hit his third homer i thought after six months oh, and and, and helping to knock the white Sox out and like coming back home from the quad cities i saw the hats on the field and i said well this is as good of a time as any to retire this hat and so thus it fell gently on the outfield grass so that's that's my personal story i'll have to take a break so you bought it you didn't go out and buy like a you didn't go buy a kelly gruber jersey to wear or uh, ed sprague <laughs> i was looking for uh juan guzman still uh still trying to get over my disappointment that the 93 cubs had the wrong guzman that year yeah they did um and he was probably gone by 94. You got a roster check on Jose Guzman? Was he even... Still there. He, yeah, but still injured probably, I guess. Well, he got one of the early, he got a loss in an early game because I saw his name. Okay. Um, okay, so uh, Carl Tuffy Rhodes, who would go on to greatness in Japan. He did. Although he had a manager who screwed him out of a chance to break Sadaharo O's uh, single-season home run record by benching him at the end of a season. A Japanese manager, I assume. Uh, it might have been. It was probably uh, Jim LaFever. In de- <laughs> um, it, but in deference to Sadahara right. O and just right. protecting getting, the his, getting his revenge. He's like, you know, Carl, I wasn't around that year because uh, Larry had canned me. So screw it. You're not. You're not going. You're not breaking this record. How many RBIs did Tuffy Rhodes have on opening day? I'm going to apologize really quickly before I answer that. I totally said Jim Riggleman the year before. It was Jim Lefevre. They were between Jims, but it was Lefevre that got fired. That's who they rallied around in '93. Riggleman came after. Can you trouble. imagine the obvious T-shirt they could have had with uh, Cubs Lefevre? <laughs> Catch it and die. That would. Well, no, that would have been. Discipio would have sold that T-shirt. Yeah, a little, okay, a little so early. Carl, three home runs. It's famous. How I, many? How many runs? I, runs did I, he drive in? I want to go low, but I'll just say four. It was. Three. Tell me it was. It was. It was <laughs> three, three solo, solo home, home runs. <sighs> I mean, that's the thing. Um, the two most, two of the most memorable. Say the two most memorable days probably i'd have to think about it but in the 32 years that we're covering our games in which they lost it was toughy row and the toughy game's hilarious because it wasn't even close but the, uh, the other one would be fukadome that was thrilling that he tied it but of yeah. course they still went on to lose in 2008 yeah the cubs um, lost the opener 12 to 8 um tough to get a score eight runs in a start against dwight gooden and he still gets the he cruises to a win that's well not, that's not great and, and it was weird that like Gooden got the shit beat out of him, which was rare. Well, never for, happened against the Cubs. Ever. Well, between you can look this up, and we should, and I will afterwards. I'm not going to, uh, you know, interrupt this to do it now. But uh, the Cubs pinned his ears back twice in '84, but he also beat them three times. And then I know I'm almost positive he did not lose to them for the next three seasons at least. 
Um, I think at some point, he, I think he must have had a record against uh, the Cubs that was like 25 and four, just obnoxious. Um, by 94, I think they'd finally gotten back to him a few times, but it's just, you know, for me at least still, you know, having been a little bit traumatized, it was, I thought it was cool that he was getting bashed, but of course, Mike Morgan on the other side wasn't really up, up to the task. Cocaine's a hell of a drug. Mike Morgan starting his second opening day, which is twice as many as Greg Maddox had started for the Cubs. Well, I mean, yeah, Mike Morgan. I mean, if you get a chance got, to start a guy you, who uh, blew, you know, basically blew his arm out when he was 17 years old, you do it. You got to give him the ball. Back there when the, it was the A's, right? Did is they, that the story? I'm not too familiar with Mike that. Up when he was. Uh, a wee lad, like, the, I guess I like the Billy Martin, like the Billy Martin A's, where he was like burning through Matt Keogh's arm and uh, uh, Brian McC- or Steve McCaddy, and Brian Kingman. Uh, All right, so this is good. This is so Dwight Gooden. Um, well, this is more than a. T- he started. He started thirty nine games against the Cubs. He appeared in. He must. He made one relief appearance. Um, so what's a typical season? Like 34, yeah, 35 it's, starts. It's a, it's a little, it's a little, more, little more than a full season. So I want, do you, I, I'm going to read this off and let me know if, if, if Dwight Gunn had pitched an entire season just against the Cubs, would he have won a Cy Young award? Uh, he was 28 and four with a, a 332 ERA. Uh, but he only allowed 264 hits to 284 innings. He struck out, uh, not as many as I would have thought, 235 against only 90 walks. But I, I guess okay. if you go 28 and four, you're, probably in pretty good shape the one last record which you know it doesn't carry as much weight nowadays uh but was a very you know pretty good mark for starting pitchers uh and I, it also speaks to the fact that the mets were pretty consistently good okay, but so, it's so dwight won 28 games against the cubs how many times did he beat that it was the most uh, the, he beat the cubs more than anybody else right how many how many games did he win against the second? Yep, yep, yep. Okay. Team? Well, it has to be a National League East team. He pitched his whole career before realignment. So I'm going to say the, the team that he did against had to be the Pirates, but I'm going to say it was 11. Uh, it was more than that. It was 15. Okay, still. I was shooting it, low. He did it to three teams. He was 15 and 7 against the Astros, he was 15 and 5 against the Padres. Oh, we did four teams. Fifteen and twelve against Philly and fifteen and seven against the Cardinals. So, uh, so the Cardinals didn't the Cardinals didn't hit him. Two seventy seven ERA against the Cardinals, only hundred and ninety hits in two hundred and twenty seven innings. You know, I, I think the function of that is it must have been Davy Johnson, whomever um like you'd think he would have beat the Pirates are perennially shitty, but it was probably a case of not you know, maybe not having good pitch against the shitty teams, saving them for better matchups. I don't know. That's I find, I'm surprised. Those are some good teams. Well, he that, made uh, he they he they did not allow him to skip a turn against the Cubs. He made uh, <laughs> he made 39 starts against the Cubs. The next most, uh, 32 against um, the Cardinals. And of course, um, so the the Cardinals would have been an uh, when did he leave the National League? Was he all was he only pitched in the National League when he, the Cubs? He threw, and a, he threw a no hitter for the his, Yankees. Were yeah. in his division. He, he threw a no hitter for the Yankees in '96. So what we're seeing in '94 on opening day is one of the last times uh, we'll see him as a Met, as I'm guessing. That's I don't know when it was in '95. Yeah. I he, think he hurt him. He might not have even pitched in '95. Something. I think he got injured before. Uh, st- yeah, he stopping made only seven starts in '94. Uh, Tuffy ruined. Oh, him. 
and he did not play in '95. He resurfaced in '96 with well, uh, shit, with the Yankees. So was that his last start against the Cubs, or did he pitch against? Did he pitch for anybody else in the Indian Inter- Inter- game by '97? Was he still around? He, I doubt he pitched. Was he with the, the Indians? Okay. Um, I mean, so I can't say that because there was interleague starting in '94. This is the year interleague started, right? Uh, '95 was the first year of interleague. Okay, after the strike. I always get that. No, 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 I'm sorry. 97 was interleague. 95 was realignment. 94 was actually realignment, but there were no playoffs that year. Okay. Right? There were no playoffs, yeah. no. When, you, but, when the but, season ends but, on, uh, on August 10th, right, you don't right, get right. any playoffs. But, but, there, but I'm saying there would have been a realigned playoff. 93 was the last year of the two-division per-league por- uh, format. So this, this is actually the first time the Cubs are playing the Mets and they're not in the same division this okay. game. And if it is Dwight Gooden's last game uh, against the Cubs, then his first and last game are both at the Wrigley home opener because in 84, he got his ears pinned back again. But, you know, um, they, they held – Dick Ruthven held on to it. So, Well, he can't beat – how are you going to beat Dick Ruthven? You're not. You're just not going to nope. beat Dick Ruthven. Um, all right, so uh, – so the so the, so there was only a three game home home stand to start, and they save face on the road by taking two out of three from the Expos, and then was it? Did they come back home right away? No, they, they, went, like, they played the Mets in two games. Then split them. They must have gotten. They got okay. They got they clearly got rained out in one game. It this must have April eleventh must have been the Mets opener because they played on played on Monday the eleventh. Uh, they beat the Mets. They won nine to five. Willie Banks got the win. Oh. Randy Myers got the save. Um, but then they didn't play on Tuesday, which was that's the thing. They, yep. But they Open also date. didn't play on Wednesday. I yep, doubt the schedule right makers just said, nope. you know what, guys, take two days off in New York. It'd be fun. Nope. Nope. So they, they only played two games in New York. Then they uh, came home to play the Braves, and, um, and and they're only three and four. So even if they're blowing three games at home, right? But then you know uh, three yeah. and five after they left New York. My bad, three and five. And then still. they uh, they had quite a quite a game a against good... the uh, the the Braves to start. No. On I remember tax that day. series. Yeah, I, I because the Braves were like really achieving their peak. They hadn't yet won a World Series, but they'd won back to back pennants or two pennants in a row. Klesko had a ride. They had Klesko and Tony Tarasco in the lineup. They were starting to churn out. Then Klesko had a big homer in that game. So he the Cubs had a guy uh, who they had gotten from the Mets. Um, who was infamous for yep. uh, not being able to win games, and that was the great Anthony Young. Mm-hmm. I think AY lost like his first eighteen decisions, something like that. It was seventeen or eighteen. Yeah. So he starts against um, Tom Glavin and the Braves. The Braves scored four in the first, four in the second, and three in the third to take an eleven nothing <laughs> lead. Now this is not as bad as what happened to the. Uh, the Cardinals just last night, where they gave up eleven runs just in the first inning. Okay, but still bad. I, and just to and just to interject, I, you know, Anthony Young uh, set the modern major league mark. We're going back a hundred years before he became a Cub. Yeah, um, they wanted. Just, they identified him and said, "That's the guy." Cubs went out and got this that is guy. the guy. We, we, have, want. we have to have. That we guy. like the cut of Anthony's jib. <sighs> So okay, now he must swept. not have lost. Okay, he didn't. He apparently didn't lose like his first eighteen games uh, because he was two no, and five in his first wasn't. season. Yeah. Then he was two and he fourteen was. in his second season. He was yeah. one and sixteen in his third. So clearly, 
those 14 losses in 92 and those and the 16 and 93 mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. rolled right into each other. Yeah, I, I mean, and it obviously speaks, you know, uh, to you know how much wins and losses don't always tell the story. He obviously got screwed out of some wins, probably. Well, but... here's the thing: so you know, ERA plus, which is a it's it's handy. It's a limited stat, but it's handy. Basically, if if a hundred is league average, anything over is better. Less. Uh, so Anthony Young's ERA plus is for his career. Now you'd expect this guy with his career fifteen and forty eight record, it's going to be awful. But here they are, year to year: one nineteen, eighty five, one hundred seven, one hundred seven, one eleven, and eighty five. He only had two sub average seasons in the big leagues. His career so- ERA. Three point eight nine for a so guy it's who hard was fifteen lo- and forty eight. Actually, so he's probably more damaged because of people's misperceptions. But if anything, the Cubs organization might have been a little bit forward thinking and looking past that. Okay. So, um, so this brings up a good point because I'm about to read a stat that is. Um, so the Cubs had a pitcher uh, we talked about it before, Juan Cruz, and one of the things I always I always thought Juan was really good at was <laughs> giving up unearned runs. Unearned run average? Yes. Like if, if there was an – like he must be able to do the math in his head on the mound, which is like, okay, that should have been the third out. Anything I give up now is not going to count against me. Fuck it. Just see how far you can hit it. So Anthony Young for his career allowed 243 runs in 460 innings. 199 of those were earned. He gave up 44 unearned runs. Out of how many runs again? innings. Over He's given up an unearned run once a game. Once every Motherfuck- nine innings. Motherfuckers didn't want to play ball behind him. I guess not. Sounds like. So poor Anthony was just a victim of. He really kind of was, actually. <laughs> I mean, jokes aside, I, you know, it's easy to take a cheap shot. Of course, the Cubs are going to go after a guy that lost 14 games. But it was actually, you know, uh, you know, a little bit forward thinking. The guy just had a career of bad luck. But again, yeah. if you're the, if you're the Cubs, maybe not invite that. So he he was out of options, and uh, the Mets uh, were looking for a trade partner at the end of spring training in 1994. Is this goodbye to Jose Vizcaino? Yes, and Larry Himes was on the phone and said, "How would you like Jose Vizcaino?" And they said, "Sure." Jose was coming off a I think a career year 93. So Himes, nobody really thought much of Vizcaino. Um, and he kind of filled in in 93 and had like some surprising power. So Himes is trying to sell. It's crap for crap though, that trade, but Hey, we had a starter. We had Anthony Young joining Willie Banks in the bullpen. Cause we can't, we can't trust Jose Guzman to stay healthy. So it's it funny. Was... They, they were running. Larry Himes was so far ahead of times. He was basically running a pitch lab in 1994. <laughs> How about that? He's like, let's get these guys who we think are super talented, who for whatever reason have not been able to get it together. And um, we'll have them uh, go out behind that the uh, groundskeeper shack or whatever we have behind Wrigley and uh, have him throw tennis balls against the wall, and uh, we'll fix them. And it didn't work. <laughs> Um, after the Braves swept them to put their season record, I guess you'd say at three and eight, but now zero and six at home. They're still home, right? Was it the Reds that come to town? Uh, sorry, I clicked away from that. No, that's all right. Because you know, realizing that now we're um, 
well, just two series in. They haven't won a game at home. Now I got to keep the fans happy. So well, lose them all, right? Because because right, this next week's kind of critical. Because one thing that ha- and I don't know when it happened. Yeah, because it eliminated them from the playoffs. <laughs> well, yeah, that's ha- that happened before, and it would happen three years later too. But um, it was around this time, and I and maybe maybe it was that weekend series in Atlanta. But I think it was like after the first loss, the following week, where. And, you know, the score, Sports Radio 670, was still somewhat new, right? So you have a little so bit what, more of a spotlight. Were they, it was at 820? It was, was, it was 820, and it, and, it, and it shut off with Mike Murphy yammering into yeah. the dark. He would talk until su- sunset, the, until and the then sun they would shut down. him off. And honestly, so, I wish even when they switched networks, they would have just continued to do that. That's out. nuts. So maybe, I don't remember, like, now that I think about it, it seems insane that on December 21st, the score had to go off the air at like 4.30. Or, yeah, it was because uh, a, I don't know. The, a, there's a Christian, a, there's a Christian uh, uh, station, I think. Well, a much, took a much higher powered 820 is out there somewhere. <laughs> And so what would happen is after dark, that signal would overwhelm um, or would reach farther. And it was part of the 820, like the the FCC but, agreement that they would not, that that signal would go off, which would basically allow the 820 signal to go farther. The however, real 820 signal. Which was, which I don't know which way that, eight, that 820, I don't they, know which way it was facing because I know the, also that being in DeKalb, I could listen to, we could pick up the score in DeKalb during the day. At night, I remember... I couldn't hear anything because whatever that Christian thing was, wasn't going to the cab and I could sort of pick up like a station in Houston. That I, I might be wrong. I thought like sometimes it would have like a Houston Astros or something on it. Well, I don't so, know. I don't, I don't know. I think it, these were independent transactions, but WSCR, they bought diamond the call letters from a uh, radio station in Scranton, Pennsylvania. Is that right? Wow. Look at you with the fucking radio trivia. That's uh-huh. fantastic. The guy who hasn't listened to sports radio in like, Four years, but I still remember uh, this stuff. No, yeah. Well, you okay, grew so, up with it. Yeah. So the Barves left town uh, with the Cubs 3-8. Um, and eight. The Cubs had lost in order to Tom Glavin, Kent Merker, and John Smoltz. And okay. in came Greg Swindell and the Houston Astros, Astros against Steve Traxel. And Traxel is like, fuck it, I took down Pedro Martinez. You think I can't handle Greg Swindell? Yep, and uh, he pitched okay, but uh, the Cubs—they uh, no score, so they lost three to nothing. So I—I I don't know if it's even worth going into the box score, but so like I, I mentioned, I referenced score in, in the fact that that sort of brought a bigger spotlight, I think, to the coverage of the team. And uh, this is Larry Himes' last year. The organization's in a little bit disarray, I think. Stanton Cook's still in charge. This is before uh, Andy McPhail, um, it, you know. And and so they get off to this horrific start, really at home, but it's it's tanking the season because, you know, at at, uh, at this point it's been seven out of their first twelve games have been at home and they haven't won one. So Tom Treblehorn uh, would be, uh, and the score kind of phrased it like poor Tom Treblehorn. This you know this pussy management forces him to go out there and do this, but it wasn't by his own volition. Uh, but he goes out in uniform. You know, walks across yeah. the uh, walks across Waveland and greets a crowd of fans. And I, I think the score replayed some of the footage. I remember listening to it. And what happened in one of the games was the uh, previously mentioned Mark Parent, who I was surprised to learn was still on, I think, the 95 Cubs. Um, 
was, and this could have been the three nothing game, but that's a close game. I don't know what the next game was, and I, but I do think Treblehorn was sent out to the firehouse on more than one occasion. Okay, it was maybe a two day gimmick, but he go he goes out there, and what happened in the game was that Mark Parent, backup catcher, uh, in a, in a, you know somewhat late in the game in a close game, was on second base and he got picked off. And so somebody asked him uh, about what Mark Parent was thinking, and uh, and, and Treblehorn's like, I don't know, he's an idiot, you know, I'm like Jesus, this is a disaster. The yes. manager just, and then he's like, and then I think the big sound is that like, when he went. Away. Is that when Go he went, have another this beer. Is, your, is that when he went? This is your IQ, buddy. No, and then no, he yeah, then he threw fun. gum at a fan. <laughs> We're conflating our Mike Ditka oh, stories. Right. No, the one soundbite, the one takeaway was uh, uh, like, "Go have another beer." Yeah. That Treblehorn shouted at one of the fans. You know, scored, played over and over. Just embarrassing. Just humiliating. Just low rent. Uh, you know, and I, I don't have any opinions on Tom Treblehorn. He was a guy. He was a longtime guy. I was I wasn't a big Jim Lefevre fan, but I thought it was stupid that Larry Himes would just fire him after two seasons have, having been his first hire and not even like having a guy to replace him. He's just like, uh, Treblehorn, you come in here, you know, and, and Tom didn't, you know, he didn't last beyond the year. The strike really sort of forced some organizations to alter their plans, but uh, there's Tr- Tom Treblehorn in full cub regalia, full cub uniform, having to uh, answer to the literal mob. Uh, right in front of the firehouse on Waveland. So, so I remember Tom Treblehorn because he had been the manager of the Brewers. And the, the, the 17 or 14 nothing start to the season? Yeah. Yeah, he won. Juan the Evans threw a no-hitter in there? In 1997, they were 91 and 71. Uh, they finished in third place. 87, 87, right? 87. Oh, sorry. 87, they were 91 and 71. Finished in third. It's the the AL East was tough in 1988, 87 and 75. They finished fourth. Wow, it was 89. They went 500 tough. and they finished fourth. 90, his only losing season in Milwaukee. They went 78, 74 and 88, and they finished last. And then in 91, they were 83 and 79. So he he Jesus. had a 515 winning. Uh, <laughs> Meanwhile, and his average finish. In you know the five fifteen winning percentage was four point five, so he basically always finished either uh, fourth or fifth, middle. Yeah, he's a perfect manager for, for perfect manager for Anthony Young. Just somehow. <laughs> so look at this. How do you finish with nineteen nineteen eighty seven? So that would have been like that was like the Tigers and the Blue Jays. Right. No, I, let, let me tell you, nineteen eighty seven specifically is the year that Sports Illustrated put the Cleveland Indians on on the cover. Of Sports Illustrated. Partly because they actually thought the Indians were going to gel. The Indians ended up losing like 98 games that year, which made a, a mockery out of Sports Illustrated. But they did have Joe Carter, Corey Schneider. Looked like he was going to emerge. They had some some talent, but it was also this totally unscientific notion that up until that point, beginning in 1981, every American League East uh, division winner was a unique team. It was the Yankees in 82, 81, the Brewers in 82. Um, the Orioles in 83, the Tigers in 84, the Blue Jays in 85, and the Red Sox in 86. And like, well, you know, Indians look like they're on the rise. Um, let's put them on the cover. And they fell flat on their face, and the Tigers ended up winning them again. But actually, it does speak to how competitive I think that division was. There was a fight at the top every well, year. That was the year the Tigers, the Blue Jays blew a, like a three-game lead. In 85. Oh, that was 85. Wait. 
Well, eighty-five, the Blue Jays blew a three games to one lead against the Royals in the LCS. That's not. No, what I think in about. like I think in eighty-seven they had like a th- three game yes. lead with like five to play. They had to, and then they, yes. it got whittled down. They went to Detroit to finish the season. Got swept. The Tigers acquired uh, Tigers acquired Frank Tanana down the stretch, and they also acquired Doyle Isn't that Alexander. The Doyle Alexander for John who, Smoltz. It, yeah, he went nine and zero, oh, but yeah. then you know, and then you know that was the la- the Tigers slipped into a two decade uh, a period so, of irrelevance. After so that. here on Brewer Talk, um, <laughs> this is amazing. So the Brewers that year they were ninety one and seventy one. They finished seven games out of first. Detroit won ninety eight and sixty four, and then Toronto was ninety six and sixty six. That's bunched up. The seven tw- games out in fourth place. Yes, the Twins who went on to win the World Series. Don't get me started, Andy. Had they been in the American League East, they would have finished fifth. Yeah. They, they won, won the West with 85 and 77. And because then, they were the first team in history to uh, win a seven-game series without winning a road game while also well, being the first get you team started? in history to play in a dome. That was, what they did was a service to humanity. They beat the well, Cardinals. Fuck yes, the Cardinals. I, I don't care if you have to play right, in, right. An, in an inflatable tent in your backyard. If you beat the Cardinals in the World Series, you've done. But the it world also it, it also hel- helped uh, elevate the ill-advised reputation of Andy McPhail, who well, uh, shortly after the season in which we're uh, the wheel tells us to discuss tonight uh, would be traipsing into town to uh, make sure the Cubs don't don't veer off course from their 500 record so far, like they did in 1994. Yeah, the the Indians who you mentioned <laughs> finished thirty seven games out of first. <laughs> they were on the cover of S. I think Carter was one of the guys on the cover with Corey Snyder. Yeah, it was Joe Carter and Corey Snyder. Indian Uprising was the uh, the, Ooh. the name Ooh. on the. Hey, it was a different time. <laughs> sure was. Okay, so now another thing that nineteen ninety four is is most famous for um, was a day in Miami. In uh, trying to pull it up here. In, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm intrigued. It's going to be not... what May? Fifty-seven games into the season. I can't wait to hear what you're going to drop because I have no idea where this is headed. Because the Marlins are in their second season in 1994. This is not the game. Maybe it's the game. Remember when Harry passed out? Oh, uh, I thought that was on the opener in '97. Because he walks out of the Marlins. He walk. He comes. They said what did it? It, did it in was he came out of the clubhouse tunnel into the dugout and the change in heat. From the air conditioning to the heat, uh, blast it, blast made him, him and pass out. I'm sure it wasn't the you know the nine Budweisers that he drank <laughs> on the way down the tunnel. That I know that happened in beautiful Joe Robbie Stadium, which I think is what it was called back then. You know, yeah, I, I like yeah. I, I tried a, a quick Google search like Harry Carey passes out Miami Cubs autocorrect. Wanted to say Harry Carey passed out Miami Cubs. I don't know why they wanted to. Correct. Uh, well, maybe this didn't happen. Now, okay, this is another thing. It's why this is this is misremember this crap. Nope, uh, you got it. June twenty third, ninety four. Wait, I see a Google search, but the head the, the link is broken. But I can tell you what I see is the headlines: Harry Carey takes a fall in Miami Heat. Uh, semicolon. He's okay. Dot dot dot. That's the the hyperlink that takes me to a dead okay. page. What year but was? I can read, what year was that? June twenty on the ten year anniversary of Ryan Sandberg having hit two home runs off of Bruce Sutter. June twenty. This is me talking, of course, not the headline. But okay. June twenty third, nineteen ninety four. Carey was going onto the field in ninety degree heat to do his pregame show when he fell head first on concrete steps near the Cubs bullpen. Okay, so that I remembered Miami, and I I had taken this other event, and I had conflated it with that, which is what my memory does. What happened? So you said that was June twenty fourth. 
June twenty third, nineteen eighty four. Twenty third. What happened? Thirteen days before that, and apparently in Chicago, after a game with the Dodgers. Well, oh, would that be Ryan Sandberg's retirement? Ryan Sandberg quit. So on the the eleventh or twelfth of June is the infamous uh, press conference with Ryan and Cindy in the corner yep. cob dress. Yep. Hey, so we mentioned the score. We mentioned. Um, I'm glad we're had. I didn't even think about that, but I, in my head, I, I knew that we have to discuss this at some point. Um, and I think, you know, uh, a lot of times, you know, things get around town. And I, well, the one thing that I'm trying to remember is that because we would hear rumors, right? You heard about Mark Grace's reputation. There was a rumor propagated by a radio host on B96 concerning local uh, TV newswoman Joan Esposito and, and Horace Grant, for which Joan sued, so I hope we don't get sued. But sometimes you'd get things that, that sort of bubbled up before the internet that you would hear about. I just don't remember if the rumors that became very apparent after Sandberg retired uh, actually existed around us or uh, what kind of started to surface afterwards. But in any event, um, let's just say that uh, Ryan Sandberg's retirement ceremony really probably raised more questions than, than it probably answered at the time. Yes. But from a baseball standpoint, it really didn't make sense to me because Ryan was playing some of his best baseball at the time. Uh, the, the, eight well, games, the eight games prior to him retiring, uh, he had one hit in 28 at-bats. Yeah. Uh, he only struck out five times, though. A slash line of 036, 069, 036. And his, BABIP, know, his BABIP, 043. So clearly stinging the ball. And we've always talked about that Sandberg, more than a lot of players historically, would get off the slow starts. It was pretty well documented. Um, but it is curious that he only had five strikeouts because even when he was hitting well, he would you know strike out uh, uh, a decent uh, a decent amount of times. Well, I, I, I think he, he did. He got off. T- so on April 16th, at the end of the day, he was hitting 275. He wasn't in for any power. Uh, he was hitting at the end of April, the month that he always struggled in so bad, he was 291, 358, 477. So he, it was one of his better yeah. Aprils. Um, okay. He did not have a great May, but it wasn't tragic. He was hitting 262 at the end of May. But yeah. then in June, all the bottom fell out. He got two hits on June 1st and got one hit the rest of the month, and then he quit. So I, I think it's fair to say that there were probably things going on in Sandberg's personal life dating back at least probably five, six, seven years. Okay. Um, and I think those things are what I'm alluding to that sort of came to the surface when only, I think, four days or three days after Sandberg announced his retirement, it became public that Cindy Sandberg had filed for divorce. Uh, and when we sort of pieced everything back together and sort of picked up on the innuendo and some of the rumors that, you know, I'm sure we'll delicately discuss here. I remember kind of rehashing the timeline. And when someone I was sitting down with my brother and a friend after we were playing softball, like, and then Sandberg retires and you know, this happened, this happened. And then, and then Cindy comes in three days later and says, I want a divorce. And Sandberg must have been like, no shit. <laughs> I mean, the reason that it was a shock, you know, he wasn't playing well at the time was he had um, 93 was the first year he, he was still good. It was the first year he didn't win the gold glove. He got injured that year, though, in spring training, remember? Oh, yeah, so Mike Jackson broke his hand. First year of his new contract, yep. Yeah, so he hit 309, but he hit 309. He played 117 games. He hit 309, 
Uh, he only hit nine homers, drove in 45 runs. In 92, he hit 26 homers and driven in 87 runs. In 91, he hit 26 and driven in 100. And that was coming off the back-to-back years where he hit 30 and then 40 home runs. Um, yeah. And he was 34 years old. Now, the Cubs had given him one of the... He was was he the highest paid player the in time, baseball when he signed his contract? At the time, it was the highest contract surpassing Bobby Bonilla. I think it would shortly be eclipsed by Barry Bonds' contract with the Giants. But yeah, for a moment in time, and probably a little bit late in his career, but you know maybe as much for past performance. So it looks like fin- he signed that in '92 and started in the '93 season. That was always my understanding because he made he was due to make just under six million dollars in 1993. He did. He made that much, and then he um, he was going to make six million dollars in 1994, uh, but he walked away uh, after just two months, two and well, two and a half months. So the rest of the Cubs got to got to save the rest of that cash. And I don't know how long that it was that contract was for. I remember when he came a... back in '96, he was only making two point three million. So clearly. They had voided the contract, and then he just—they gave him—he signed a new one when he returned. I remember being introduced to the term "personal services contract" at his retirement press conference, which happened. I remember on a hot as hell day, by the way. But well, I mean, he, Cindy had been accused of personally servicing. Yes, right. Which leads us to that in the first place, and it's. It's a, it's a strange thing. Uh, I think it's kind of, you know, look, you know enough, we know enough people, you do for sure, uh, professional writers and whatnot, I mean, which kind of verify that things were going on. And I don't even know, uh, you know, the extent to which Sandberg would have even have known any of that or if it was something that people try to protect it or, you know, who knows? I do know. Do you remember the time? about four years, five years earlier, maybe three years earlier, when Sandberg showed up to camp with a mustache? Yes. And it was like, look, Sandberg, great player. It was like bizarro Ryan Sandberg. Well, Sandberg, you know, great player, dull as dirt, though. And, and, you know, good-looking guy. He was a quarterback in high school. He married his high school sweetheart. And everything seemed so uh, great on the survey. He was a great player. Um, you know, my dad liked him for that because he didn't do endorsements, but it was, I, you know, I don't think it was because he was so reticent, which he was. It's just, oh, he did endorse all. He did Chevrolet. That's yeah. like the only one I can think of. Well, and um, now he'll endorse anything. He endorses right, weed right. and weed. hair plugs. Right. And... He's doing Verilife. Down, yeah. So, you know, it, it, at some point though, like, like he didn't seek the spotlight, which, yeah, it speaks to how dull he was, but sometimes it's reassuring forever. All the Ryan Dempsters and Mark DeRoses and, you know, all these goofy, mediocre guys that can't wait to, you know, let us know what they say. So, you know, it's, he didn't have anything to say. He was not, he's not an interesting guy. He's just a great ball player. So when he, when he starts growing this mustache, uh, it was a story. And then he shaves it by the end of training camp. And he said, he just thought it was a distraction and everyone bought it. But I remember after all of the rumors came out, about you know, let's just and only one of these two fellows was mustachioed, but a couple, let's just say, uh, you know, rumors involving um, you know some Latin American. I believe we've uh, I literally talked about the rumors in a previous podcast. <laughs> we have. About, we've mentioned the names. Oh, yes. So the the, the two guys, one of them recently won a World Series as manager, yes. and the other one has five thousand career hits and five hundred home runs, and isn't ever going to go to the Hall of Fame. Fame. And he's not Sammy Sosa. Right. For those of you who right. think Sammy might have three thousand hits, right. Right, right. And so, right. Um, 
so as it was, in retrospect, I look back and I just shook my head. I'm like, oh, Jesus. If Rhino did know back in 1990. Like, <laughs> I think he's you look good a mustache. at a mustache, right? Like, oh, you poor bastard. Like, <laughs> look, look, sit there. Uh, yo, hablo espanol. <laughs> I like the fact that he thought it was distracting because I could see him actually batting and looking down and only being like just looking at the mustache while he's batting, like just over his well, nose. No, I think he, like, in oh, fairness, that thing. He, I think his point was hard to know, see his, over this his thing. Po- his point was the media attention to it was a distraction, which speaks to his own, you know, reticence right, so, uh, to begin with. Um, that's not the worst mustache that a Hall of Fame Cub from that era ever wore. I mean, you've seen the Greg Maddox mustache baseball card, right? I vaguely, yes, yes. That is, it is absolutely hilarious. It's the worst mustache. Yeah. And he should have kept it because it was so <laughs> bad. would have been able to even kept a straight face trying to hit against that thing. Would have added to the mystique. Yeah, like a 17-year-old that's, that's what he really called it. trying. Of a must, it wasn't a mustache. It was a mustique. Yes, that I was like the it. Nickname. That was his nickname for his mustache, the mustique. Yeah, yeah. In the, in the context of 1994 and Greg Maddox, now you're reminding me that he was probably really just taking off uh, in Atlanta too. So that's just another. No mustache we had there. Steve, we had Steve Traxel. So we did, and Steve was he was a boon for um, concession sales and all kinds of stuff because when he went to one of Steve's starts, there's a lot of extra time padded into the game, and it was amazing that he was as slow as he was. Because he didn't usually think of guys who are slow workers. They 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 wander off the mound. They fiddle with the rosin bag and their own bag and the ball just and all that stuff. There. He would just kind of stand on the rubber and just right. kind of stare at the catcher for like an like, hour. And Scott like, Sanderson would always like step off and throw to first. Traxler, I don't recall even did that. He was just so he was just slow. Goddamn Everything little... he did was slow. Now I don't remember. And it was if that's pretty how... good. Well, I don't remember if that's how he was as a rookie. What, what you'll see, if, if you pull up Traxel, good rookie year. Like I said, I know rookie pitcher of the year is really like a thing, like we celebrate rookie of the year. It's I think Raul Mondesi. It, was a, it was a fake Sporting News Award. Right, right, right. All right, but I still read the Sporting News. I think Ra- Raul Mondesi was the uh, rookie of the year in 1994. But um, Traxel was probably well, – I, I could probably say he was the best rookie if he won that stupid uh, fake award because it still existed at the time. And then and the next year we had high hopes for Traxel, and he crashed. But then the next year he was good again, and then the next year he, he was an all star in '96. Yeah, and then in '98 he was good enough, and he won the uh, coin flip game. Um, yeah, but he that was, was the, he was the ultimate every other year guy. So yeah, he was. He was '94. He was nine and seven with a three twenty one ERA when he was uh, the fictional uh, uh, National League Rookie Pitcher of the Year. Ninety five, right. seven and thirteen with a five fifteen. Bounces back in '96, thirteen and nine with a three oh three ERA. 97, he's 8 and 12 with a 4.51 ERA. 98, he basically pitches the same, but he wins a lot more games. He goes 15 and 8, and he, he was throwing a no hitter in the in the one game 163, and nobody no, noticed because he right. had walked like five guys. There were base runners all over, and you didn't realize that he hadn't given up a hit. I noticed because I was keeping score because I was there, but I will always refer to it as the most torturous six innings of no hit ball. That uh, yeah. that I think I've ever, um, I mean, been to. I, don't, I haven't been to too many games that I've seen a no hitter uh, after six innings. But so that one, one of my favorite clear. things on the Baseball Reference site is you pull up a guy's career stats and then they have the the bold type, which means they led the league in something. 
Steve Traxel has two bold type numbers on his um his record. Is one of them uh, home runs? Yes. There are two things you don't want. 1997, he led the he led um, National League in home runs allowed with 32, which honestly for him was just a typical year. He gave up um, once he started starting full seasons. Um, 25, 30, 32, 27, 32, 26, 28, 26, 25. That was just what he did. Um, yep. What do you think the other one was? It was 1999. Uh, 1999. Um, was it wild pitches? Nope. You have to be a good pitcher to do this. Well, uh, it's a bad stat. You have to be. You have to be pretty good to do it. Oh, innings pitched. No, he led the league oh. in losses with 18. Oh, 90. What year? 99. 99. He was 88. He was eight and 18. That was his last year as a Cub. I don't recall. Well, a Cub no, of course not. That. His last year as a yeah. Cub because he made he the triumphant in return in 2007. Yes. Now, I thought in my head that if the wheel fell on 2007, that would be one random fact I was going to mention that Steve Traxel, after eight years gone, uh, pitched in September. That uh, was a terrible trade for the Cubs because do you remember who they gave up? Uh no, they actually traded for him. He wasn't picked up off they the They traded two heap. players for him. They traded Scott Moore, but they oh. also traded Rocky Cherry. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yes. They didn't give up much. I and they didn't having, get much. I remember having high hopes for he Scott He had an Moore. 831 ERA for the 2007 Cubs. He did win a game, though. It, incidentally, the, the, the most torturous no-hitter um, compelled me just to quickly show Joe you Colley? that. I've got. I was at this game, and so I have evidence because I actually kept score that Steve Traxel did not allow a hit in the first six innings. But in this pile, I just wanted to show you, and this is amazing because for all the debauchery that I shared on opening day '94, like all the, this is probably why we kept score because we otherwise might not have remembered the game. But I actually have an accurate scorecard. You and got I, drunk you know, and you scored the entire game. Yes, oh, this that. is uh, this is opening oh, day. One on your card. That's good. <laughs> but there's Tuffy in the first one for the Cubs. I think yeah. Oleg helped me with this because when one of us would go for a beer run. Uh, yeah, he hit four home score. runs on your card because you somebody wrote the – somebody did the, <laughs> Forgot the fourth the inning. He actually hit it in the fifth, so you had to <laughs> yeah, cross you know it off. Yeah. That scorekeeper mistake. I'll take a picture and post it because it was nineteen. Oh, that's good because uh, uh, maybe we can get Al yelling. To sh- Al, I'm sure, has a picture of his somewhere. <laughs> And I put the Google search link uh, in that box when I found that to verify that 12 days after Sandberg announced his awkward retirement that uh, Harry Carey did take a, a header in, in Florida. But my, my, my Boolean search was Harry Carey passed out Miami Cubs. The first, <laughs> the first hit was uh, today in Cubs history, Harry Carey passed away and it's bleed Cubby. Yeah. So, well, he, yeah. it's quite the search and it's quite the SEO he's got over there where, um, passed out brings up passed away. Okay, so your thing here, this is a big issue, and I'm going to have to have uh, Paul Sullivan on the pod. Oh, this one worked. Okay. All the, a lot of the old, like, I'll search for stuff that happened with the Cubs, and it'll always be a Tribune article. And most of them now are dead links. Dead links. Yeah, and it's not going to get any better with uh, Alden Capital owning the, the paper. But this That's one too works. Bad. Well, you- which one works? You get you find the article or yep. just uh oh because no. my mine was a dead link. You're talking oh, no, about you're the, right. Uh, I pulled it up. I I fell for the same thing that Al. Uh, it was critical after fall in nightclub, so that's not good. 
That's yeah. That's, that's that, well, that's what, that was in the weeks before he died. That was his final. That was his last time. There it is. Harry f- takes a fall. Takes a fall. In Miami. Miami heat. He's okay, and this one won't work. Yep. Right. It always says we're sorry, but this server is temporarily unavailable, and it might as well say, and it will never it, be available. Gets again. gets gets Sully on that, or maybe you said, hey, let's have him on. Maybe for any of the like throughout the course of these thirty-two, if we just maybe keep a list of things that we're a little fuzzy about or need some collaboration. Well, the guy we can have on, we, I'm sure Bruce will come on. Miles, That'd be not good. Le- not 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 Levine. <laughs> 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 it would be great let's, to get Bruce let's, let's confuse our, our our listeners even more. Uh, was Miles uh, in in the capacity of a reporter in '94? No, um, '98 was his first year covering the Cubs. That's right, because when he stepped down from the Herald, he, I remember he wrote about that being his yeah, first season. He and uh, Sammy Sosa combined he hit 66 home runs for the Cubs. Well, we'd like to have. It'd be great to have him on, maybe for that season, if we knew that ahead of time. We we'll just have to have him on alert because we can't break right. our rules. Right? No, because uh, our crazy ass. I'll just rules tell my Bruce, that... we're gonna we're gonna be on tonight, and if you get a phone call, <laughs> right. hey, you're gonna have to do an hour and a half with us about the '98 Cubs. But if it does, if the wheel doesn't come around to that, screw right. it, we're not calling. Right. Six I'm weeks sure he'll later, really we're, appreciate. We're that. continuing to give him a heads up. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. It could happen any time in the next twenty weeks. So if you can just clear. Clear a night every week for that. That would be good. But yeah, that's a good memory. I did not. I don't recall that even after you brought it up. That Harry. I mean, it, it was the beginning of the end. I think in the context of Harry, the, the clear demarcation was the stroke in '87. Because like you said, as Cub fans, we only got a couple, a few years of him. Yeah. Uh, you know, the other day because. In the last few months, just out of boredom, I've been like rewatching a lot of these thirty-minute World Series highlights. Even they go back as far as nineteen forty-five. Um, Harry was, you know, and these are the ones like Joe Garagiola did a few in the seventies. Um, I don't know who did like the Red Sox Reds one. If it was, you know, um, it, whatever. It's guys that we would know. But Harry Carey did uh, the ones that involved the Cardinals, and I didn't mind watching them because it was before that, I lit. That's Bobby. how they did it. They did, and even up until um, I heard a thing, Al Michaels. Was talking about when he started with the uh, with the Reds. They was p- towards the end of the Big Red Machine. Al Michaels was one of their TV announcers. They go to the World Series. His first year ever doing baseball. They go to the World Series. It was Kirk Howdy, right? He gets to yes, he gets to split the broadcast with um, Kirk Gowdy. Yeah, with Kirk Gowdy. Or Vince Gowdy. I thought Gowdy did the World Series. So in the, the broadcast, like the actual broadcast. Yes, they, would have they the had the announcers from. They had the announcers from both teams would do parts of the series. So it, it was not entirely nationalized. No, like it, that was supposedly entire... to give you like the local flavor. They would have the P, the public, the uh, play-by-play yeah. guy sit in on that. the broadcast, and so like he got to do the games in Cincinnati. And then I, I guess they played whoever they played. Well, wouldn't Gowdy have been Sox, the Red Sox guy? So he would have just Red done Sox it because he was doing. Five, I think that's right. And then 76, maybe, I don't know if Mel Allen was still in, in exile, but that's who the Reds played. I did not know that Al Michaels did the Reds baseball in the 70s. Oh, yeah. He came Jeez. up. He got his big break. He that's was an, doing. That's uh, another guy. He was we talked. To, he was doing games for their AAA affiliate, which at the time was in Hawaii. Wow. The, okay. The, the, the Islanders. And uh, he, got the, he got the call up to go to Cincinnati. And, wow. Uh, that's where he got his start. He had to hang out with Marty Brenneman then, I guess, or at least cross paths with him. Yeah, well, Marty would have been doing radio. Yep. And okay. Talent, uh, you know, well, that's real I didn't even radio. Anybody I didn't even know that. Right. I didn't even know that because we've talked about like guys that we associate, you know, with like national broadcasts, like Dick Enberg for football or Don Cricket, Notre Dame football, and that Brett Musburger, and that they actually have these 
deals where Dick Enberg did California Angels or San Diego Padres every day. And uh, of course, this was Al Michaels working his way up. This yeah. wasn't really a case These, of him. Those being other guys, that was their retirement jobs. For Don Crickey, That's right. it was after. So he Don Crickey was a rising star at NBC and really good football play-by-play guy. Yeah, just couldn't push past Dick. But during a uh, college basketball game, you mentioned he, this once. Before. He said that a player had white man's disease. Right over there, and even in and the eighties, yes, even good. then that slowed his ascent at NBC. Maybe. They didn't fire him, but no. he never quite got to where he was going to get otherwise. But there yeah. was—I think I talked about this. There was a time when him and Bob Trumpy were the number two team on NBC, and as a kid, they were my favorite team. I love more those so guys. Than, I don't know why. Don, Don Crickey and Bob Trumpy were the guys I liked even better than uh, Dick and Tim Ryan and Johnny. Oh, yeah, right, right. For, for local Mostly reasons. because when you got Tim and Johnny, you had to watch the fucking Bears. And they, from right. in the 70s and early 80s, that was not a treat. So that, so that World Series thing is also why Jack Brickhouse, he somehow was doing Giants games. He's like on the call of Willie Mays' home run, too, I think. Well, but, Jack would do. Jack never turned down... A check. Right, no, right, no, that's true. Okay. But uh, but to pull it all the way back, like hearing here, if if you can, kids, uh, YouTube, uh, find the thirty minute video, St. Louis Cardinals sixty four, sixty seven, sixty eight. Well, I'm, I'm pretty sure you did all through that. Why would I want to watch the Cardinals in the World I know, Series? I know, but listen, just for Harry Carey, it's it's, uh, no. and I know, and he he's not actually. They got any A's, <laughs> Harry? I'll watch that. He's doing the narration. What I'm saying is, he's doing the narration yeah. for the world. It's not. It's not clips of him actually broadcasting the action. It just my point is you hear a voice, you hear a sort of vitality uh, that so many people, I don't think, you know, we associate Harry with so much with the Cubs. I think we have, we had a wisp of that, like in 82, his first year, you and I, you know, 82, 83, 80, 45, even before the stroke, I think it was leading up to the stroke. But then after the stroke is we've discussed this ad nauseum. That's, that's when he became this sort of bumbling caricature that Will Ferrell sort of traded off for laughs, and that so many other morons like Ryan Dempster yeah. um, trade off of. Right. And but yeah, ninety four, he's, he's so taking headers into concrete. And, the the one you can actually hear, and I think it's on YouTube. Um, WGN on the end. Speaking of the Sandberg game, did he bring it all around? Is GN right. on the anniversary of the Sandberg game? I guess probably in. When did they win? Would they have uh, the twenty fifth anniversary? Maybe the twentieth, okay. two thousand four, probably the twentieth anniversary. They also on, when when Samber got inducted, they replayed it too. Okay, so they played the whole broadcast. Yep. on WGN Radio because it was because obviously it was an NBC game because you got Costas and Kubek, which meant Harry sidled over to the radio booth, and it's him and uh-huh. Vincent Lou, and then uh-huh. of course fucking Milo has to pop up occasionally because <laughs> um, a four man booth, but it's really good, and that's Harry. That's like sharp. It's 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 the it's the only it's like that small window we got where Harry was still good and the Cubs were good. Yep, that's true. It was only that year. It was only eighty four. Because eighty nine, he was in the booth, but that's post heart attack. Heart attack is eighty seven. That's the demarcation. We'll talk more about eighty nine when eighty seven. He's not sharp, but he hasn't really started the descent yet. Well, yeah, but I and I don't know if it was ninety four. I think it was ninety seven. Is last year. I may have mentioned this once before, but. You know, even in the 80s, even pre-stroke, I'm pretty sure he would confuse Ryan Sandberg and Scott Sanderson. He'd do yeah. things like that, right? Get a little mixed up in the head. But I swear this happened, and it would have been – it could have been 97, 96, um, 94. 
I think it was 96, 97. He was still broadcasting games, and Sandberg was batting, and he referred to him as Boyer. <laughs> Ken or was, uh, Which Ken one do you think it was? 64 World Series MVP, National League MVP, big Cardinal player. I don't know if he's a Hall of Famer or not, but right. somehow. I'm much somehow. younger than Harry, and I can't get 89 and 98 straight ever. It's never going to happen. It's not my fault that the Cubs only had four good teams ever, and two of them, the years are all, the numbers are all the same. Just in right. They're transposed. Yeah, the last. No, but I would say with that, when you if you if you hear that broadcast, the Sandberg game broadcast on the radio, it's jarring how different Harry sounds and how good he is. I mean, there's a reason he's a Hall of Fame broadcaster, and it's not because of the Budweiser commercials and the dancing and all that stuff. He was really good when he was good, absolutely. And it's really fun to watch. But the thing I, I noticed about it was, so it's against the Cardinals, and he still has a fucking hair up his ass about the Cardinals, which was one of the other things I liked most about Harry. And he is when the Cubs fall behind, he is so pissed. And then he gets uh, so excited when they come back. I mean, uh-huh. he is. That's why. The, that's why fans that's love why Harry. Him. That's why we love because him because he really was a fan in the booth, and you could he, feel it in that broadcast. He wanted them to win so bad. Yep. Yep. And like this, you know, this June game against the Cardinals, and he wanted to win it more than anything. You could taste the uh, the disgust when, like Jody Davis, who was you know, Jody would be a perfect example. We'll talk more about this in the eighties, but just to touch upon it where Jody, uh, you know, he was a catcher, occasionally capable of, of, of going there, but hit a lot. Pop it up. And he was just disgusted. But Jody is also the same guy for whom he would serenade uh, the old Davy Crockett song and, and sing his praise, literally sing his praises when he hit, hit a home run. So yeah, the I mean, that was, and, the and that was, I don't want to call it a shtick, but that was Harry's thing. He he was exactly like a fan. He wanted he wasn't rooting against any of the players. When he was disgusted, it was simply at their failure. Yeah. He wasn't personal. And he would get excited because they did something exciting. And then he would get disgusted because they did something that was, you know, they let everybody down and he was he it was all visceral. You were just gonna feel it coming out of Harry. That's why people liked him. For sure. Uh, did sure. he do? Uh, is there any of those videos? Did he? Did he do play by play of the time Gussie Bush hired the streetcar to run over? Right. See, hey, since since this is a TMZ hour anyway, with <laughs> Ryan Sandberg's retirement and we're dealing with yeah. innuendo, let's discuss what brought Harry Carey out of St. Louis in the first place. And supposedly, because Harry, who at that point may have been twice or thrice married, uh, suppo- and we can we can say there's without fear of any sort of probably liable because yeah, I don't think Dutch is dead. <laughs> It's that I don't think Dutchie's probably cogent anymore. I mean, Terry's been dead for 20. I know she was a much younger bride, but um, yeah, the the story that well, you put it more colorfully. I just thought, I just remember that Gussie Bush supposedly tried to have Harry killed for uh, sleeping with Gussie's wife. Gussie, of course, was the the the, the Anheuser Busch Titan and the owner of the St. Louis Cardinals, so Harry's boss. And uh, I think you had more details involving the the mode of uh, of of, of he got homicide hit. involved a, a vehicle. He got hit by a streetcar, so those are on a track. So it's hard for the, but that doesn't mean somebody couldn't have given him a shove, right? <laughs> but you know, there's there's famous. It was the Harry's last year in St. Louis, and then there's famous shots of him doing the game games with his foot a cast up to his waist, like propped up on the counter. He's got a beer in one hand. He's announcing the game, and he's got his broken leg up on the thing. I think he broke both legs. Actually, he was in bad shape. 
I don't think there's any one good year to like roll out these Harry Carey stories. So I'm just going to do one more because, you know, he was in the 32 years that we're covering. Harry was the, the broadcaster uh, between 82 and 97. That's 16 seasons. And we have not done a lot of 80s and 90s. So it hasn't come up much anyway. But just for, for the record, um, is is that Harry, you know, I, I just lost my train of thought. If you got another one, oh, no, here it is. That before he came to the Cubs, and I think maybe his first or second year at the White Sox. You could probably search this. I think Deadspin first exposed it, but some blog might have had the details. At one of his estate sales, somebody found his expense book from like 1972, 73. And, uh, you know, Harry was no dummy. He's going out. And of course, I think expense policies were far more liberal in the, like the madman era, the sixties and seventies. You can't put alcohol on expense accounts for most people. I know some who can, but, um, but that, his expense report from which he kept records of for tax reasons, whatever it was in his uh, files showed that he went out and had dinner and drinks like all, but like seven calendar days oh, out yeah. of the entire 1972 calendar year. Um, if I could find that one, it's almost worth taking a look. Cause it, and, and you know, at that point I'm 49 years old and I like, drink three or four beers during this podcast and I'm, I'm ready to go, go to sleep. This guy is at that in 1972, he's probably older than I, or he's close to it, but like keeping up that level. And this is, he's still got 25 years to live, you know? Okay, I mean, so he, I, he, I found the, okay. So my, again, the timing is off again. This He got, um, I'm not sure when he got hit, but, well, but you're dealing with innuendo. Him. It might be hard to find an act unless Wikipedia can really nail it down. You're talking about what, his, okay. his, his broken legs. There's, yeah, there's a this this day in baseball from November third, nineteen sixty eight. It says Harry Carey trying to cross the busy Kings Highway near near the Chase Park Plaza Hotel in St. Louis suffered two broken legs, a broken nose, and a dislocated shoulder when he was knocked forty feet in the air after being struck <laughs> by a car at one fifteen a.m. on an inclement Sunday morning. Says the popular Cardinals broadcaster, whose hospital room will become party central before he is discharged, will recover in time to be on the air for opening day 1969. Wow. And there's a shot of Harry with uh, casts on both legs up to, above his knees. Nice. You'll have to post that. Goddamn legend. Poor Harry. But yeah, that was always the rumor was that uh, Gussie Bush had had somebody run over Harry because he was screwing his wife. Yep. I heard that as a kid. We talked earlier. These rumors would reach us in the pre-internet age, whether it was, you know, dalliances with the, with the wife of a star ball player or, you know, um, dalliances between a broadcaster and his boss or a broadcaster and a basketball player. I mean, whether or not they're true, that's why we're careful what we say. But, uh, yeah, the, the word got around even in, in the pre, pre-internet days. So the 94 season, um, I guess it spared Tom Treblehorn, right? He only he only had to go 49 and 64. Oh, 15 under might put him up there in the list of managers for this time period. Well, it helped that on uh, August 10th, uh, baseball went home for the year. So there were two strikes both uh, in our lifetime, like extended strikes. And what's funny about them, the, the other one is 1981, which well, we will cover. Get we ready because... Uh, yeah. 2022 20, is going to be right, every, number three. But then, but then by that math, there should have been one in 07. So we haven't been an extended, well, right? I mean. Well, it's because of Bud. Bud, Bud insured labor peace with his yes, yes. fine interim baseball commissioner for life. 
But the funny thing about 81 and 94 is that there were seasons in which the season couldn't end soon enough. Yeah. Oh, I uh, distinctly Cubs, remember fans. that summer. I was, I remember where my summer job was and, um, talking to the guys there about how, uh, they're like, do you think the, you know, I'd be like the sports guy, the guy they'd ask all the questions to, cause right, I paid right, attention right. to it. Do you think there's going to be a strike? And I'm like, God, I hope so. <laughs> and they're like, why? Right. So, number one, I'm tired of watching the Cubs. Number two, it means the White Sox don't get to go back. To That's the right. That's right. And, and I spoke a little prematurely. 81, it wasn't that the season that early, the strike in 81 was different because it happened in the middle of the season, yeah. but it was about two months and they decided to break the season into two halves. The Cubs had, and we'll, we'll deep dive on it when we do 81, but the Cubs are absolutely absolutely miserable the first half and it was a big joke like, hey the cubs can still go to the playoffs uh because they had a first half they had a pre-strike um uh, uh standings and then they started fresh after the strike in 81 when the season picked up in like early august or whatever and so the cubs did have a fresh start and they actually did they, they couldn't do any worse they did slightly better but they still sucked and so in any event 81 and 94, the two biggest strikes that have occurred that have impacted seasons were both seasons in which Cub fans couldn't give a shit because yeah. we sucked. They still do that. Well, I shouldn't say this stuff. I don't know because they, they changed minor league baseball around so much this year. They eliminated teams and they changed leagues and stuff. But they were still doing the split season thing in in low A, at least, in the Midwest League. Um, the Snappers, the year I was there, won oh, they the did? division both halves. Which so, meant that okay. the team that finished with the second best record in the second half got a playoff spot. Okay. Like basically, the Snappers had already clinched a playoff spot at midseason. By the summer, they, they knew they were gonna. Right. Their so season they're was just playing extend. for shits and giggles the rest of the way, and um, I guess they're playing for seeding. But they have. Right, a spot. But it, it doesn't give them a buy though. They're gonna line up an opponent for them. Right. If the, if it happens, yeah. that they win. There's both. two divisions, and they're gonna have four playoff teams. So they're gonna take. You know, if you win the division, either of the halves, you're in. And if right. the same team wins your division, both halves, then whoever finishes second gets to go. I don't know if it's cumulative record or if it, they just, by the second half, it was just, all right, you guys are playing for the other playoff spot. But you're right, there's no real I believe it was up. Nelson Cruz and the uh, Kane County Cougars that got the other, that won the second half. Oh, well, let me just bring up my third scorecard, by the way. I mentioned this before. This happened in 1994, Kane County Cougars. You can hardly see it because it's faint, but this is the one time I mentioned this before where Alex Rodriguez, you're not going to be able to see it here, uh, played for Appleton, didn't do shit, but looked like a goddamn giant out there. I was wrong when I said that former LSU or future LSU quarterback Josh Booty struck out four times in this game. I went to a later game at King County in 94 and saw Josh Booty do that, but Todd want, Todd Dunwoody uh, did play in that game. Future Cup. Yeah, future Cub, as did uh, a fellow by the name of Berg, whom I remember, and Mike Redmond also played uh, in that game for the future. Mar- they were actually future Marlins, but 1994, uh, King County. So in, in uh, 2003, the um, I guess it would have been the uh, – I think they were the Appleton – were they still the Appleton Foxes? No, I think they, they were, were the Lumber Kings by then. No, this okay. was the Lumber Kings. Um, whatever, they, whatever they became, um, Michael Garcia Parra. Played for them. Nomar's brother? Nomar's brother. And I always tried to get the PA announcer. I said, just one at bat. Announce him. Because Nomar famously is simply Ramon spelled backwards. Right. His dad wanted to name him that. And his mom was like, Nomar is actually his middle name. They basically said, all right, if the kid wants to be Nomar, 
because he's Anthony Nomar Garcia Parra. If he if the kid wants to be Nomar, he can be Nomar. Otherwise, he's got a backup name. And I kept trying to get the PA announcer to introduce Michael Garcia Parra as Lycum Garcia Parra. <laughs> Michael spelled backwards, and he wouldn't do it because he thought people would think he was like um, trying to speak Yiddish, which is right. not a bad point. Right, right. So it's too bad that he wasn't like. Uh, I don't know what good name name that would be funny backwards, but uh, kind of like Bob. let's talk about Harry. One of you know he would love to spell right. players' That's names right. backwards and pronounce uh-huh. them. Backwards. He would get bored. He would do it. And I, I distinctly remember the Andre Dawson one, where he goes. You can still remember without even having to redo it in your head. Well, yeah, he goes. What's Dawson spell backwards, Steve? Nosewad. <laughs> he goes. That's probably. He goes. Andre probably wouldn't like that. <laughs> no, and Steve, and Steve's like, I know a couple of teammates in the 70s that would have, Harry. <laughs> Nosewad, that's good. So would 1994 have been, would that, still, would that have been Dwayne Stats territory? No, in fact, it was the penultimate year of Tom Brenneman. Stats' last season was 89. Here's an, oh, a mnemonic. Right. Here's a mnemonic in case you need to memorize it. Oh, I will. I'm sure this will be good. All right, everybody. All right. Milo Hamilton's last season for the Cubs was the year in which they went to the division, went to the playoffs for the first time in 39 years, 1984. He left after 84. Opening day 85, introducing Dwayne Stats. It was also a time in which Steve Stone attempted to do a little bit of play-by-play. So when Stats was on the TV side, innings one through three and seven through nine, before joining uh, Lou and Vince in the radio booth, Stoney would try to do a little bit of play-by-play. But anyway, Stats was the uh, play-by-play guy until the 89 season in which the Cubs won the division, and that was his last season. So there was a tradition of the Cubs make the playoffs and one of the radio guys quits. Right, and Harry's number two, yeah, quits. And then, yeah, so Brenneman was actually there. Brenneman and uh, did did the games with Santo and Brenly for the first yeah. two seasons, and then it was just Brenneman and Santo beginning in '92. So, do you think uh, do you think Brenly called Brenneman yesterday to ask uh, what's the name of the sensitivity thing <laughs> that you do took? What's that guy's a, name? Do you need a referral, uh, Bob? <laughs> Can we get a discount? Do you still need to go? We could do a twofer. <sighs> Yeah, I don't. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I I actually probably don't. I probably remember the Tom Brenneman era the least because I was at college, and even though we had the score, you know, I didn't have well, a car. Tom wasn't there that long, right? And then he wanted it wasn't the score. I mean, we didn't have. I mean, it was on the radio. Well, he was there for uh, six seasons. Ninety five was, was his last season. Yeah, Pat Hughes. Yeah, okay. Pat he Hughes. left when yes, ninety five because he left when Fox got football. Right, because they hired him. They were hiring. They the Fox guys didn't know what to other than hire sons of famous broadcasters. Right. So they sons had of they had Kenny yeah. Albert. They yep. of course had Joe Buck, and they had Tom Brenneman, and they just yep. hired the three of them. And um, the basically WGN told him that they weren't going to let him out of his responsibilities with the Cubs to go do right. Fox. And so he said, "All right, well then, when the season's over, I'm done." Which was funny because. Um, I'm not going to you know, sing the praises of Chip Carey, but when Chip Carey came on board four years later after a little bit of turnover, he was still he was doing the MLB um, right. studio show, right. which and I thought was, I was a big fuck you to Tom. Like, yeah, they the WGN know. claimed it was the opposite. It was he Chip had agreed that when his Fox contract expired, he wouldn't re up. He would focus solely on the Cubs. So okay. it was basically the same policy they had for Brenneman, except they Chip came with a deal already. He'd already he, he was like in year two or three of it. 
And they Got had the it. agreement. Because that's why during some of those Sammy home runs, you hear like Wayne Larravee or Dan Roan do the call. Yep. Because they're filling in for Chip, which were merciful for us because we didn't have to listen to Chip that day. Absolutely. Because Chip was bad from the jump. It's not like he got bad. He was. As he went, we, it was pretty clear right away. that he And he, he had all the advantages going in because everyone felt bad and Harry had died. Josh and, Lewin. Well, Josh Lewin got kicked to the curb because Harry wanted his, his the grandson that he couldn't even recognize at a Little League game. He well, so I, wanted to work I, with him. I, uh, I, in our very first episode, we did 1997, which is very similar to 1994, in that the season was basically sunk uh, in April. But what I, one of the very my five my five facts was so in our very first episode, I made some sort of reference. I wasn't able to really articulate it about how um, Josh Lewin was hired in '97, and the deal was Harry wasn't going to travel anymore. And Harry was so pissed that they didn't hire uh, Chip that he insisted on getting onto an airplane, heading down to Miami where he smashed his face three years earlier. And, and like, because what Harry said went. And so Josh Lewin's like, well, I guess I'm not doing these games. And like, he was just kind of like cast, you know, Josh Lewin and his kind of strange list. But I, I don't think he's like a, a great Lewin. broadcaster. He seems like a decent enough guy. I don't have a strong opinion one way or the other, but I, I did kind of feel bad he for the guy. because. He was fine. He was better he was just, than Chip. Was, it was a downgrade he, when they went to Chip. He was better yeah, than Chip. Yeah, well, and he obviously had to leave. He's like, what the fuck kind of a situation am yeah. I in here? I mean, so I don't think, you know, they the didn't Mets. get rid of it. Yeah, he, the die was cast when Harry was still alive uh, and he had been hired. And so it just so happens that Harry died. They made the decision to reunite or, or unite Chip and Harry uh, prior to the 98 season. And then, you know, Harry went and smashed his head again in, in Florida. And that was it. Or it might have been in Arizona. Arizona. Yeah, because they were there for Day, spring right? training. That's it, yeah. What a Valentine. Here, I'm going to pass out and hit my head on the table. My and- bloody Valentine. <laughs> That's right. Not since <laughs> not since Chicago. Right. Down the whatever. <laughs> El Capone. Right. Just right to two miles south, or a mile south of Ridley, <laughs> right down Clark Street. Harry, yeah. Harry reenacted it in a, a half-assed Applebee's in Scottsdale yeah. or whatever. Harry really uh, got stuck with some shitty Cubs teams, you know. I mean, he got eighty four and eighty nine, but you know, uh, they, you know, they sent him out on a high note in ninety seven. This ninety four team has really, you know, kind of been picked over. Uh, yeah, just... I mean, the, of course, Harry got stuck with them. So did we. The the most frustrating thing about being a Cubs fan in those eras were just so many completely non competitive seasons, where you know right away that this shit is not going to work. And then what are you going to do? We got six months of it. Yep. And then the winning seasons would come out of nowhere. Like yep. they would follow up a terrible season. And all of a sudden, you know, like they were bad. They were terrible in 83. And all of a sudden they're the best team in baseball. They in 84. Were, well, yeah. other than the Tigers. And then in 88, yes. you at least, it, there was a glimpse of it because they had all the all-stars, even though. Some yeah, 89 is a little bit of an exception in retrospect. They, they, they should have been better actually, but yeah, a point, but point 98, taken. the 97 Cubs are yeah. historically bad. Yeah, and 99 There was no rhyme so. or reason to it. The 06 Cubs got off. And yep, then they made 07 playoffs in back-to-back yep, years, 07 and yep. And then, yeah, and then we kind of shift into a different era. But for the most part, in spite of what the motives were by the front office, that's usually, until the Theo era, that's usually how it worked out. It's a, hey, we might get lucky. And it was fun when we did. When we did cover the 89 season. Yeah, and maybe that's why there's so much fun. It was It was fleeting. And they were completely unexpected. Yeah. The other thing about it, though, was they did right. 
they didn't like contend and then blow it. So like it's not like we had you know right. So in our lifetimes, when they were good, they were going right. to win something. Well, I brought this up with the the two thousand one Cubs are the first team in our lifetime to legitimately contend, not just flirt with five hundred, but yeah, actually be pretty win. good and 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 actually fade because and I was very sensitive to that point because no no. Don't always blow it. They're, they're not always there, which is a separate issue. And that's, you know, that's a conversation for another day. But if they're, you know, up until that point in, in 01, all those, those three seasons that you referenced, 84, 89, and 98, are the only three seasons in which they were a lot, like, really alive in the second week of September. Yeah. And they, they, those teams actually finished the deal. But the 01 Cubs were, uh, were handicapped by the fact that they weren't any good. <laughs> they didn't really did blow pretty- it as much as the season just lasted too long. It's right. like, all right, we can't fake this any longer. Can it end? Right. We went over that early, and I think that's the conclusion. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, because they, um, you know, they didn't finish second. They finished third. I will say that 1994 was the one season around which Sammy Sosa's two 30-30 seasons were bookended. Sammy already had a 30-30 season under his belt, and Santo, of course, you know, Santo criticized him down the stretch because he was trying to steal bases and getting caught, you know, trying to reach it. But then he did it again, and more impressively, in a strike-shortened 95 season. Uh, but just looking it up, Sammy had an 884 OPS in '94. I mean. We're, we've 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 covered a lot of seasons that he's been involved in. It's kind of it's kind of interesting. It's a it's a pretty big tapestry because of how much he evolved, both good and bad, uh, in those years. Yeah. Uh, still a bit of a wild child, but 884 OPS. I mean, that was he had the best one on the team by 100 points over Grace. He actually had a pretty decent year, really. He batted 300. I think uh, I think I'm discovering a new level of appreciation for Sammy Sosa's '94 season. 94 I just kind of, of the, It's got to be one of the broken hand seasons, right? No, that was '96. He was batting 300 on August 1st, and Mark Hutton of the Marlins hit him on the wrist. He had 40 homers too at that point. Yeah, 40 homers on 100 he, RBIs. That was the yeah. When people said that the 66 homers came out of nowhere, it's like, well, no. he did hit 40 homers in 124 yeah. games two years. He was ago. a 30 30 guy. It wasn't like, yeah, I mean, it wasn't. He wasn't fucking Brady Anderson. Like, I'm not a big Sosa stand, but I, I I try to be objective and I'll tell you the facts. And um, it, yeah, it's a it's a little bit overboard to suggest that he would have played that much of a role. He wasn't, you know. He, I mean, of course, there's a lot we don't know about, you know, when he was, you know, starting or, or well, whatever. Yeah, there's, we, a pretty, there's a pretty definitive line. Is there, though? Did when it he start steps in 98? It, yeah, well, he was. He, I remember distinctly in 98, people, when he showed up for spring training, everybody's like, holy shit, Sammy's huge. Okay. All right. I mean, it was, this was so, not a, you know, this, he was cartoonish when he arrived in 98. And yeah, he was the yeah. kind of player who the steroids would, benefit because he was you have to be good you can't just it's not going to make you a good player but it can certainly take you from a good player to a great player one of the biggest you know tony la russa just the world's biggest pain in the ass would get all pissed off at sports writers about accusing mcguire of doing steroids and he would be like yeah you don't see that guy you don't see how hard he works you don't see how much how 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 much he lifts weights and how much he does whatever it's like yeah that's why he's taking the fucking steroids tony they don't (laughs) work I mean, Mo Vaughn famously, the Kirk Radomski said Mo took steroids and then wouldn't work out. 
And I couldn't understand why it wouldn't get any better. He's like, Mo would take him like he was going to wake up in the morning with muscles. And they're like, Mo, you have to actually go lift now. So Tony acting like he was such a hard guy, like, well, no, McGuire, he's so good because uh, because he's worked so hard. It's like, yeah, that's why he's taking steroids. So he can yes. work super hard and never have to have a recovery day. And all this yes. shit, he can just, it's like, you know, are you that daft? Like, of course you're not that daft. You're just yep. being obtuse. Yep, yep, yep. Yeah. So. I uh, I just discovered one thing that I would have been remiss if we didn't mention. I have to go into it because it's a funny story. Um, it's kind of obscure, but it involves a, a guy we know. And I, I should have been prepared to talk about this because, as you know, Andy, I'm always prepared to discuss anything Dave Otto related. Of course. Uh, 1994 was the one year that uh, former uh, Elk Grove High School legend Dave Otto pitched for the Cubs. And uh, I think a lot of people probably are familiar with Otto. He's sort of always been on the periphery. He was actually the uh, everyday color analyst along with the aforementioned Chip Carey in 2000, 2001 on the Fox Sports Chicago games when Joe Carter did the games with uh, Chip on Channel 9. Um, Otto, I grew up in Elk Grove. My Actually, um, my... Um, my oldest brother, Tim, is one year older than Dave Otto. They played ball together at Elk Grove High School. They're both left-handed uh, you know, pitchers and first baseman. And then my other brother, Brian, is younger than Otto and knew him pretty well because they're both really smart and took really smart classes and whatnot. So he was – Everyone in town knew him. He threw a no hitter in Elk Grove. He was a legend. Nobody, you know, nobody from 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 Elk Grove has been, you know, in, in baseball has been that. Uh, uh, you know, been that prominent. And he actually got drafted by the Baltimore Orioles uh, out of high school in the third round, uh, but decided to go to college at Missouri. Uh, Dave was, was a smart guy. He was also a minor, I believe an honorable mention, all-state basketball player at Elk Grove. But he single-handedly took the Elk Grove Grenadiers downstate to the playoffs. They've never gone that far before or since. And they didn't, you know, didn't have a whole lot of talent. And even like some of the Daily Herald writers that I've seen like that reference that just that he pretty much put that team on his back. I think he lost one to nothing uh, in the state semifinals. But he goes to Missouri for three years uh, and then gets drafted again by by the Oakland A's. And, um, and he signed and he worked his way up and he, you know, kind of, arrived in the big leagues around the time that the A's were winning pennants, you know, 88, 89. He graduated high school in 82 and left Missouri in 85, 86. And so, you know, it bounced around. He had, you know, pitched, pitched, uh, you know, for a few teams, pitched for the Cleveland Indians. He was with the Pirates in 93. I was home that summer and uh, saw, watched the game on WOR with my dad and he hit a triple against the, uh, the Mets. And that was kind of fun. But in 94, he got the, uh, got the pitch for the Cubs, and it was, you know, kind of fun. Uh, more so even for my sister, uh, who, was high, who graduated with, with Dave's, uh, Dave's sister, and they just happened to be roommates about a, three blocks from Wrigley at the time. So uh, Dave's sister definitely was the beneficiary of, of tickets that summer. She worked downtown, and my, but my sister was too. So it was, you know, very exciting. So, um, you know, very – like, so I don't – no, Dave, he's nine years older than me. My only story would be, and I've met him a few times and I, you know, would yell at him at the bleachers and tell him who I was and ask how my siblings were doing. I will say that I played in a house league basketball game in 1987 as a freshman in high school, just a non-competitive house league, just to kind of get us out of the house. We were terrible. It was mostly freshmen and sophomore. We played a team of like seniors that put themselves together and Otto was home from break and he was the official. And I just remember how embarrassed I was that the team I was on literally lost 112 <laughs> to 18. Well, um, yeah, score but 18. It's that's right. 
That's right. So anyway, I want I, br- I bring all of this full circle to, just to point, point out the fact that I was very excited. I, I only went to one game in 94 because I was still in DeKalb. I was at the opener. But my brother, Brian, who knows Dave and who was uh, at that point, uh, he was sitting in the bleachers for a game. And this was Randy Myers uh, poster day. Oh, yes. Oh, the this, is a, this is a game to look up, folks. We could probably find it. You know, um, uh, Otto for the Cubs that year went uh, oh and uh, I think it went oh and two. He didn't win a game. I know uh, he came oh and one only. He had a three eighty ERA. He had a decent year, yep. and he never pitched again. The strike happened the next year. He wouldn't cross the picket line. And you know, Dave was a smart guy. He he after he graduated Missouri, he got his MBA. He's fine, you know, and he's he's managed to sort of hang on on the periphery. We've hung out with Dave at, at a couple Cubs conventions yep. with Len nice, Casper. Yeah, good guy. Um, and so in this game, though, there's this game, Randy Myers poster day. Uh, my brother, Brian, who's a year behind Dave, he's known him since they played little, you know, the little league together and, and took classes together. Uh, he's in the bleachers, just happens to be in the bleachers that day. And, um, and, and it was a wild sort of a back and forth game. It was on a Saturday sometime in the summer. And uh, at one point in the game, though, uh, Otto stood to be the winner. It would have been his only win of the Cubs that year. And uh, but the, in the um, in the ninth inning, I guess Myers was in for the save. So I think Otto must have pitched in regulation. But uh, in the ninth inning, Myers is in for the save and he, he blows it. And so my brother, uh, he was very proud of the fact and he told me this afterwards, and probably rightfully so. I uh, don't, you know, I don't really uh, encourage vandalism. But in this scenario, considering how excited my brother probably was to witness, you know, Otto's one victory as a Cub, and see Randy Myers on Randy Myers poster day ruin it, uh, claims to have been the first person oh, to course. have thrown Randy Myers' poster onto the field, <laughs> spoiling what would have been Dave Otto's only victory. Do you for, remember uh, what Randy Myers said when asked about the fans throwing a poster out on the field? I don't. He said if they'd have given me a poster, I'd have thrown it on the field too. Nice. Yep. Good for Randy. Randy is a good guy. I like, I always later, like he, of course, um, nearly killed uh, John Our future Murray. buddy. Yes. The, yes. It's going to happen, asshole. Um, <laughs> in fact, Mark Grace thought, literally was like trying to pull Randy off because he was literally worried Randy was going to break the guy's neck and kill him. I believe Randy Myers was like a martial artist of some sort. Maybe that was a. He also had a. He kept a grenade in his locker at Wrigley, <laughs> and would not tell people if it was live or not. And um, sports writers were always a little concerned that maybe it was. <laughs> and then Randy retired from playing baseball and coached girls basketball in the uh, state of Washington for a while. Okay. By all, all accounts, right. a very good guy. Did he? Did he continue? He, he he definitely pitched after the Cubs, right? He, that wasn't it. He had really good years with the Cubs. Yeah, he was a, we talked about last week. He was their only decent free agent signing for a that's long right. time. That's Be- right. Between uh, the the Jim Fry troika of Dave Smith, Danny Jackson, and uh, George that. Bell and, and Soriano. Looks like he went to the American League. Baltimore. Oh, I remember that. I do remember that. Yeah, he led the league with 45 yeah. saves in 97. Yeah, he set the National League mark in his first year of 53. I think Bobby Thigpen had set the Major League mark in 1990 with 57 saves, uh, and then Myers set the National League mark with 53. Um, and, yeah, and he led the league in, in th- with 38 saves in 95. So he's only there three years, but guy saved over 100 games for the Cubs, 112. So uh, before we go, we need to do we need to run down the roster and look for the bums, um, which could take a while on this team, but we won't we won't talk about them all. So obviously, uh, uh, it was the one the one immortal season for Tuffy Rhodes. Um, 
who did go on to greatness in Japan. You know, it's we mentioned Matt Merton. Didn't Matt Merton also achieve some uh, distinction in Japan? Yeah, I don't remember what it. It was a, it was a hits record. It was yeah. it our single season home run record, which would blow me away. Anyway, I just for the record, Matt Merton and Tuffy Rhodes, I think, are Japanese legends and yeah, so, called uh, mediocrities. Tuffy played for uh, both uh, Kinetsu and the uh, uh, oh the Yamiuri Giants and the Oryx Blue Wave uh, in Japan. And uh, he played 13 seasons in Japan. He has, was a career 286 hitter with 464 home runs. Jesus. And, um, he, let's see here. Let's get the damn, his thing gets way too long. Yeah, in uh, 2001, he hit 55 home runs. Uh, so maybe, uh, Maybe do they, Tuffy was, do they te- do they test for steroids in Japan? He followed it up with 46 more in 2002, then 51 in 2003, and then 45 in 2004. It, so that's quite a run there. Two more than nobody 200 home runs in four years. And they don't have they don't have testing there. I'm assuming. No. He played until he was 40 years old, 2009, with uh, in the in the Japanese league. Some things don't make sense. Certain players that are just absolute mediocrities in America excel over there. Tuffy, uh, I mean, Tuffy did have a 919 OPS and 65 plate appearances in 93, split with the Cubs and Astros. I believe believe our friend Paul Assmaker was the guy we traded to get him late late 93. Yeah. Um, But, yeah, 705, I mean, yeesh. Um, but one memorable day in April, which I'm lucky to remember. Uh, the Cub, the original Zambrano, Eddie Zambrano, played on the '94. Uh, Cubs. That's that right. I <laughs> uh, hit 259 uh, off the bench. Kevin Roberson played on the '94 yep. Cubs. So much, did, much. So did Todd Haney, Willie Wilson, who I'm sure hit a triple. That I, at a yes. game I was. Yes. two that we'll, year. I'm we'll, sure that was we'll, the year. We're gonna find we'll that track, one of these days. We'll track that trickle. We'll tra- track that triple down. And of course, Mike Maxudian. Everybody remembers Mike Maxudian. No. Hey, was he a catcher? He was a utility infielder. Oh, jeez. No, I don't think I remember. Uh, the pitching luminaries include, of course, we've already talked about Willie Banks, uh, Anthony Young, who was 4-6 and six with a 392 ERA. Yep. Uh, Kevin luck. Foster. Foster made his debut uh, around Memorial, around this day, I would 13 say. 13 starts Memorial. with a 289 ERA for Kevin around Foster. The, I think the start after Willie Banks' near no-hitter was uh, was Kevin Foster's first start, and I think he afforded himself well. They traded Sean Bosky to get Kevin Foster. So, Cubs won that trade. Mike Morgan, the original Anthony Young, uh, went 2-10. and 10. <sighs> Second time in his career he'd gone 2-10. and 10. He also went 2-10 and 10 as a 19-year-old with the 1979 Oakland A's. So Morgan had one statistically really good year and it was when he sort of seemed to have hitched his wagon to Greg Maddox's yep. uh, farewell Cy Young season in 92 and it's like then Maddox leaves and they replaced the roster with all those signings one of which was Myers and then it just meant oh it bumps Morgan up to being the opening day the ace and we saw how that went over the course of two years one of my all-time favorites uh, pitched on this team uh, Jose Bautista uh, I don't know why, but he had a he he actually had a good 1993, pitching out of the bullpen mostly, and he, I think he made like a uh, he had like a, a ridiculously good start in Pittsburgh, I believe, in that year. Nice. And my uh, oh, I vaguely remember he may have been a starter in like as far back as 1990 or no? I I must be getting. He came to the Cubs in 90. He played pitched for the Cubs in 93 and 94. 
That's it. Uh, okay. He was. Um, he had a flu, one of those fluke years. He was ten and three in 1993 with a 282 ERA. He with made, the Cubs. Yeah, he made seven starts. He also finished 14 games. He did it all. And um, we used to joke. I had a, one of my roommates was a Cardinal fan and uh, thought that. Um, like, you know, the Cubs were terrible, which he wasn't really wrong. But whenever Jose Bautista came in, I would always, I would pretend I was Jose Bautista. <laughs> I was narrating Jose's thing, and it was like, you can't hit my fastball. That was our, that was always our joke for Jose. He was like basically telling the batter he's going to throw it, because you can't hit my fastball. And, of course, other than 93, his fastball got hit plenty. Uh, but he had that one year. And he was still wow. around in 94. Didn't pitch bad in 94. Um, and not, yeah, I, not to be confused confused with Miguel Batista, who came along a few years later yes, and the Cubs traded for Henry Rodriguez. Yeah, uh, Had a couple of former Brewer greats uh, to bring the Brewers back into it. Chuck Krim and, of course, Dan Plesak pitched on the 94 Cubs. Because Plesak was one of those big signings that replaced Maddox the year before. Yep. Chuck Krim reminds me of the other Dave Otto story. Of course, 1994 was the year in which uh, our – uh, our beloved Chicago Bulls legend Michael Jordan actually stood at the same home plate that Babe Ruth had done 62 yep. years earlier, and he got a hit off of Otto. So that's another claim to fame for our guy from Oak Grove. Dave Otto gave up a hit. Jordan's hit in the game, but then Chuck Krim gave up this uh, uh, the game tying double to MJ uh, right down the third base line. You know, hard to imagine Steve Buscell or whomever couldn't have. Yeah. What do you think? It. What do you think is more embarrassing, Dave Otto giving up a hit to Michael Jordan? Or Mike Soratka giving up a hit to Garth Brooks. <laughs> I think maybe Mike Soratka. Former Cub. Think. Former Cub Mike Soratka. I believe he pitched in spring training and got hurt. Did he really? Yeah. So maybe not. Maybe he doesn't qualify as former Cub. Um, Dave wow, Gere's brother, Randy, pitched on the 94 uh, Cubs. Are you, are you joking? Or no, are they they're really not brothers? actually brothers. Because um, Dave Veers triggers me, of course. Randy Veers, uh, actual first name, uh, Randolph. Oh, good. okay. Wow. Uh, like, former White Sox, former, uh, I believe he was a 93 playoff star, right? Or at least seasons are Don with two ends, Paul. Was he a 94 90? Cubs. He pitched okay. two games for the 94 Cubs. And okay. Sean Bosky got yep. in a couple of games for the Cubs. Till he was dealt for uh, Kevin Foster. When, uh, when uh, Larry Himes, in one of his last moves, completely pants the Philadelphia Phillies. Um. <laughs> yeah, so that's the 94 Cubs. They were the season mercifully ended early. Yep. There were other seasons where we wish that had happened, uh, but we got our wish that year. One of the worst. Um, I just I've always been able to catalog a lot of these seasons in my head, and I've had to readjust it in recent years. Um, but really, 81, 86, 94, 97. 99, 2002, 2006, those seasons just jump out as just, and the funny thing is until Theo came, the Cubs did not even have a 100 loss team until Theo did it deliberately. And that didn't even bother us because we knew what was happening. So it always struck me as bad as these teams were, it's kind of amazing they didn't lose a hundred games, but uh, I will say the 94 team again was sort of tribune in the second stage of ownership, really not trying to be shitty, uh, but it illustrates what happens when this stupidly crafted, you know, shooting for the middle uh, doesn't quite yeah. get off to a good start, and then it's just it's just crap. And you're right; it's like you find yourself in July finding other things to do. So yeah, the, the Cubs that year were 29 and 25 on the road, 20 and <laughs> what? 39 at home. Wow. 
that's the ultimate proof of my of my theory because it's like what was their attendance i i write was it uh, yeah it didn't quite hit two million it was only seven out of 14 so well, they only played it, i mean that's only no that's only true they would have gone over two months but they were still their only seven was, out of four their attendance was fine so where does seven out of fourteenth rank for a team that was possibly one of the worst? I guess it's obviously pretty good, right? But I mean, it was also they got a tough break because they were really hitting their stride in the second half. They were thirteen and fourteen when the strike came. They were just about <laughs> ready to make a comeback. They only finished sixteen and a half games out of first. Only they could have made that up. Yeah, Triplehorn well, got screwed. Yeah, right? and that was it. He never managed again. And, and his only other managing job was this, like, really successful run in Milwaukee. Yeah, where he didn't win anything. He had horrible timing. <laughs> By the way, you mentioned the 87 team. Which might have, I don't know. Was that Treblehorn's first season in Milwaukee? But I will tell you, do you, would you happen to recall offhand without looking up who the Brewer shortstop was uh, on the 87 team? Was that the year they moved Robin to center? Uh, it could have been because Robin was an MVP in center in 89 after winning the MVP at shortstop in 82. Well, if, which sure, still... if your shortstop answer is not Robin Yount, that means they had moved him to center. Um, yes. Oh, yeah, obviously. Brewers. Unless he was hurt. But no, he was an everyday player. He hit a walk-off in one of the uh, – uh, well, they actually had four Cubs on that team. I'll just tell you who it was. It was Plesak. He was their closer in 87. Yeah. But the player that I'm referring to, who was their shortstop, was a future manager of the Cubs. Oh, Dale Spain. Yeah. Is that the year Dale broke his leg? I don't know. Because that's I know what that... derailed. Dale was a hot shot prospect and okay. uh, broke his leg, and his career was never the same after that. I know he hit, I believe he hit a walk off homer and one him hitting a walk off homer and Juan Nieves throwing a no hitter are the two things I kind of remember about that Brewers. Uh, the very that, handsome. Fort, Fort, you know? Dale's fame. <laughs> he always looked like he just wandered in from 14 hours at the bar. Always. It was part of his appeal. Just a few years too early, Dale. Yep. Well, I'm glad we put a shitty one away. This will be fun when we have a lot of, you know, I don't know. Well, there, I mean, there aren't that many good ones, so we're going to have a lot and of there they're all fun, actually, obviously. I mean, this is what we do. We spend our time watching it, and it's not that hard to rehash it, and it's very enjoyable for us. And I know we get a little bit of feedback uh, from some listeners that that enjoy it. And it's not as hard as you might think to make uh, this team, 1994 Cubs, uh, enjoyable. But uh, nevertheless, I'm, I'm glad we got it out Look, of the way. Cause... It looks like Dale broke his leg in 88 because he okay. uh, did not play in 89. He only played 129 games Ouch. in 88. He missed the 89 okay. season, and then he never. That's a serious. He never leg. played Shit. more than 94 games in the big leagues. No, he, in 97 he had so almost a decade later, he had wow. played 126 games for the Pirates. I think it I was going to say the Pirates. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah, in 87 he uh, was t- 23 years old. He hit uh, 25 homers and drove in 95 runs, playing shortstop and second base. Holy shit! And uh, he Jesus, he hit two fifty two with a three oh three on base. But uh, oh, okay, but still, all right, well, twenty five yeah. homers. That's some pretty good power numbers. I don't know what kind of a defensive shortstop he was, but that twenty five homers, you'll take that out of a shortstop if he's halfway decent. He played for the White Sox in ninety two. Vaguely remember forty games. And, well, uh, poor Dale. What could have been? But that was a those Tom Treblehorn got to manage those teams. And then he gets one year of finding himself standing in front of a firehouse 
talking to angry fans in April. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome to Chicago town. All right. Well, that's about, that's about as much as anybody can talk. I'm done. About the 1994 Cubs. All right. Well, thanks, Mike. Thanks, Andy. Till next. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Many of us have herpes. 